0: You are listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, a show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, Hobbits, and Counting to 20 in Greek. This is season two, episode six Idolatry in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I'm Carrie Combs, and I'm very happy to be sitting across the internet from Adam Thomas. Hey, Adam, it's nice to see you on video call.
1: Yeah. Are you actually happy right now? Because this well, is like I've, my 15th video call
0: in the last four days. I've had a lot of video calls this week, but we're used to it. We are really good at using um, video conferencing to do this podcast. And who yeah. knew that those skills would be so important in this bizarre time that we are in?
1: Yes. Uh, for If you're not listening to this as it is airing, it is the first week of social, social isolation, social distancing
0: or as someone put it social spaciousness
1: oh there you go i actually saw a funny thing Uh, a friend of mine texted me a thing that said you know uh social isolation just sounds so yucky what if we say we are exiled for the good of the realm
0: i like that i was like
1: yeah that's yes we are exiled for the good of the realm
0: So that's where maybe at least my head is at a little bit today at the end of a pretty long week. It's important to note the context we're in, but I also would love to not think about that right now. And instead to think about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, a movie that I hadn't seen in years. It was very quotable in my house growing up. My father was a big fan of the he chose poorly line as like the understatement of the century or the millennia, I guess, in this case. (laughs)
1: Right, right. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about that today. We had to come up with a particular title and we liked idolatry in Indiana Jones because of the alliteration. We'll see how much of this is actually about idolatry. Uh, We'll definitely touch on it a little bit. Before we get to that, let us say our quotations. Our scripture quotation today comes from Isaiah chapter 44. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know, and so they will be put to shame. Who would fashion a god or cast an image that can do no good?
0: And our quotation from Nerd Canon comes from Marcus Brody. He says, the search for the cup of Christ is the search for the divine in all of us. But if you want facts, Indy, I have none to give you. At my age, I'm prepared to take a few things on faith. In our MacGuffins episode, we touched on the Indiana Jones franchise with the main thesis of that episode being what we're searching for matters, I believe. Mm -hmm. It was a while ago now. Yeah, And what's interesting about this film is that It's about a quest. It's a wonderful adventure movie, which is also not a genre we normally touch on, but it does kind of have, the quest has a point, as we see in that quotation from Marcus Brody. It talks about the quest for the cup of Christ being a search for something more than just an artifact. And I think that's a good entry point into talking about the film.
1: My favorite line, well, I've got two favorite lines in the movie. One of them is a complete throwaway line, which is, Sala, I told you to get no camels, that's five camels, can't you count? I think that's the funniest line of the movie. But the line at the very beginning when young Indy uh, comes out of the cave with the cross and he can't find any of his his Boy Scout troop, and he says, everybody's lost but me. And so the young Indy runs home with the cross of Coronado uh, which he sa- keeps saying, this belongs in a museum.
0: Belongs in a museum. <laughs> so
1: do you. Um, and then uh, he gets to he gets in the house and he, he runs in and he runs into his dad's office. And we don't see Sean Connery yet, but we hear his voice. And Indy's bursts in and Sean Connery says, you know, wait, count to 20. Indy starts counting. No, no, in Greek. Mm. Um and then obviously we never get what that conversation would have been but that to me sets up the whole arc of this movie which is that henry jones senior is putting his quest for the holy grail in uh, above the needs of his family
0: and you see that in the in that scene because of the the prayer he makes I think it's this first line you don't even see his face you see him writing in the diary and, and he sort of prays or or asks may he who illuminated this illuminate me I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to God may God who illuminated the manuscript who inspired the one who was writing it illuminate me and yet he's ignoring the situation that's coming involving his son something very important to this the one relative he has left and he's ignoring it in order to continue with his notes for the and the quest for the Grail.
1: He's very focused on the diary and mm-hmm. his notes, and doesn't know that the sheriff's there. Doesn't know that Indy's just you know been shot at, and so forth. <laughs> Fallen
0: into a pit of snakes. F- Fallen into a pit of snakes. by a black rhino.
1: A black rhino. The 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 lion almost got him. So a lot of stuff is just happening. Yet and Henry is very focused in his chair. And that when we think about the concept of idolatry. Um, what I see as the, the definition of idolatry is, um, putting something above what should be your highest good. Mm. So, uh, oftentimes we'll, we'll think of idolatry, especially biblical idolatry as actual graven images, right, carved the idols. Calf. Yeah. The golden calf being the the main one in the book of Exodus. Uh, and what those are are symbols of things that people have put in place of God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Examples in modern life of idolatry—you know, being uh, putting fame above our highest good, security above our highest good, uh, you know, monetary wealth above our above relationships above in our order of our priorities. Where do we place things? And if God is at the top of our list. Then everything else, I think, tends to fall into place in the right mm-hmm. order. Uh, but if God is not at the top of that list, then everything can get out of whack. Everything can, can go askew.
0: Right. Everything else makes sense in term if God is placed first. But if if we let's say even things that sound like they are good things to search after, like family, if that becomes the be all and end all of your experience, you might it becomes stifling and self-centered uh, and sort of self-referential or or security. Those are all good things to search after if they're put in this wider context of meaning.
1: Right, because if if you or I put our spouse in the role where God should be and we then make an idol out of our spouse, then we're going to be asking them for something that A, they cannot give, B, mm. they shouldn't be asked to give, uh, and there should be a C, but I don't have one off the top of my head. <laughs>
0: See, there's just going to be a lot of resentments going on, I think. That's my C. That's your C. To your your list. I've added it on.
1: When we look at Dr. Jones's priorities at the beginning of the movie, we don't yet really know what all that's going to mean. It's just this little setup Mm -hmm. for the relationship going forward when we finally meet um, Sean Connery's character in the middle of the film.
0: And I think it's difficult because it seems, because he's searching for the Grail, which is an artifact you know, touched by Jesus, the cup the cup that was used at the Last Supper, it's easy to be deluded into thinking that his quest is about God, but it's not. And that's, um, I think that, that in terms of our communities of worship, sometimes um, I went to a pretty picky seminary in terms of how worship is done and all of that worship is intended and liturgics and uh, vestments and music are all intended to be, you know, mirrors through which we, or uh, lenses through which we see God better. Um, and yet, sometimes I felt like they could become idols in and of themselves. They were seemingly about God. We're going to be very intentional about the way we worship and the way we are together, but they become self-referential. They become kind of this circular pattern of thought and they don't end up reflecting God or a quest for God. They become insular. And so I think the difficult part about the grail quest is it, it seems like it should be a good one. You know, why not search for the cup of Christ and not, not to drink out of it to get eternal life in an evil way, maybe the way that the Nazis in this movie might want, but for, you know, for Christ's glory, and yet it does not glorify Christ. Henry's quest is not until the end, until they make the choice to let it go.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what you're saying about worship is, is really fascinating because it's those things that are close to or adjacent to God in our lives, the things that are pushing us towards God, that if we stop with them, Then they end up occupying that highest place. And but then, like you said, it can be hard for us to distinguish between our worship and the object of our or the subject of our worship. Mm -hmm. Another way that I've heard idolatry defined is worshiping the creation instead of the creator.
0: Ooh, I like that.
1: I really like that because it's such a succinct definition. If we worship the creation instead of the creator, then again, we stop short of where our true devotion should lie. What ends up happening, especially in the biblical narrative, is that whenever anybody does stop at that kind of idol, what they end up doing is coming up with an idea and then worshiping that idea. uh, As opposed to trying to reach beyond any idea that they personally might have for something greater, so far beyond anything we could conceive of And have that be the subject of our devotion.
0: Well, in the way those things become windows, and I'm I'm remembering the the term for you know for icons for those beautiful paintings that are written of saints or of scenes of Christ that they are windows into heaven. Um, Mm. Things that we can focus our attention on, our devotion on, that then kind of reflect upwards towards or outwards towards God.
1: And I think that that's why I wanted to to have that. quote from Marcus Brody at Mm. the top of the show because he more than any other character in the movie I think understands what the grail really is Mm -hmm. because he says the search for the cup of Christ is the search for the divine in all of us it's not the search for the cup of Christ Brody isn't actually in that moment talking about gaining the physical object He's talking about the clarification that we go through as we are living this life that will lead to faith or in, includes this life of faith, uh, and it maybe it, it took him to old age, as he says, or or his elder years, um, to take those things on faith, uh, because he is an archaeologist, he is a scientist, but he he has seen that this search for the cup of Christ is a search for divinity, not for self-aggrandizement or eternal or. Uh, eternal youth, I think Donovan mm-hmm. thinks the, the cup of Christ is gonna give him. Yeah. Um and uh obviously that doesn't happen. Um we'll get to that.
0: Poorly. We'll, we'll
1: get to that so yeah. do you, do you see how many times he, you say that during this podcast. It's be That's at least two.
0: Eight. Do you think that he as Henry's friend would have a lot to, to say about his the way that um he uses the grail as a quest? That he's not searching for the divine and everyone, but he is kind of using it as an idol. Do you think he'd be on board with that?
1: That's a good question. Um I don't know. My guess is that they are colleagues, old, you know, old friends, but I don't know. He he calls he actually actually, let me let me back up. He calls Henry's quest a hobby.
0: Hmm. At
1: some point in the movie. So I'm actually not sure if Brody knows how much of an obsession this is or it's possible that only Indy thinks that it's an obsession because he calls it that at some point in the middle of the film. Right. Um, because Henry at one point says, the quest for the grail is not archaeology. It's a quest against evil. And Indy says, this is an obsession, dad. I never understood it. Neither, did, Neither mom. did mom. And that's when Henry says, oh, yes, she did only too well. She kept her illness from me. All I could do was mourn her.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: wonder, again, in the great movies, don't, they ask questions but don't necessarily answer them. Boy, and so is that that, true. That, those, those three lines of dialogue, there's so much in there because the two characters are thinking so completely differently and we as the audience have no idea what is true in that. Mm-hmm. What, did she actually hide her illness from you or were you so unavailable that you never saw that she was sick? Is it really an obsession or did, does Andy just feel frustrated that, because of that, because he, he was overlooked his whole life?
0: Well and you see their, their perspectives and the difference of, of his upbringing, Henry sees that he gave Indy freedom to be his own person, to not micromanage him essentially, and Indy felt, you know completely no, what you taught me was that I was less interesting than people who had been dead for five hundred years. So again, there's the differing perspectives, and it might be very convenient for Henry to ignore his son and say, "Oh, but I'm doing him a favor by underparenting him." Um, it's awfully convenient
1: we're bouncing around the movie a little bit but moving us back towards the that first third we go and we meet uh general veers um well walter donovan he's general veers in empire strikes back
0: don't confuse the people
1: (laughs) we go and we meet donovan and donovan has a very another idea of the grail Mm -hmm. which is that he wants this thing for he calls it eternal life which if he actually were a Christian and had ever actually read any of the holy texts, um, he would know that eternal life doesn't mean eternal, you know, physical physical existence. Your <laughs> right. Um, and we'll see that even later on when he, when Elsa gives him the gold cup and he's like, yes, of course, this is the cup of the King of Kings oh my because he's been to a cathedral somewhere once yeah that's um, what it looks like and that's what they look like there uh i've always wanted to like get a replica of the actual grail from this and like use it in church because that would be really cool to see if somebody recognizes the cup that we're I using that would be
0: highly distracting if i was to receive <laughs> the blood of christ and then suddenly be like this looks a lot like from oh gosh
1: <laughs> okay maybe i shouldn't do that then we get over to venice uh venice
0: Oh Venice!
1: Um, the whole thing in the library, which is great. We get the X marks, the spot bit. They break through the floor. I love the bit with the uh, the librarian thinks his stamp is really loud.
0: <laughs> get to the tomb of Sir Richard after all the rats attack. Oh
1: rats! Yeah. Gross. yeah, his dad would never have made it past the rats. Um, and then we have the great boat chase scene, and then they he chats with Kasim, 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 Kazim, Kazim. I think they say Kazim. It's, it's hard to hear in that moment right. in the movie. Um, and he says, why do you seek the cup of Christ? Is it for his glory or for yours? And this is another spot where we get just that hint of a, the concept of idolatry right. in, in the movie, going back to the divine in all of us. They're, they're dropped in here and there by these other characters. Um, and Indy says, I came to find my father.
0: Right. I didn't come for the cup. Yep. I came for his father. And I I like because I wonder if he said, you know, yes, I'm searching for it for Christ's glory, would he have would Kazim have also said, you know, in that case, God be with you in your quest?
1: Yeah, my my guess is no. No, no. Yeah, my guess is that Kazim would have said, Well, why don't you come join the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword? We know where it is, and we're (laughs) we're working to make sure nobody else ever finds it.
0: And I wonder I wonder if he also sincerely doubt I mean, he directs indeed to his father and then in reuniting with his father, they End up finding the, the cup, so it's almost like he didn't think that they could possibly ever find it by putting those two brains together
1: and the reuniting is ends up being what the movie's about right that's the important part of the movie and so when Dandy brushes off Kazim when he says, "Why do you seek the cup of Christ?" but i would I would contend that the coming back together of the father- son relationship here does bring glory to God
0: I think so too yeah that's. And that's the ultimate quest of this film is this reuniting of these two that have been so estranged, not in an overt way, just in a, an understandable relational way, in a way that I think a lot of people struggle with the, the need to feel understood, to discuss past decisions and wrongs or perceived wrongs and come to some kind of mutual respect and understanding. You see them talk, kind of talking past each other when they are physically reunited in the film, that scene with the fake Ming vase. That is, it's played for kind of comic relief, and how, but it shows that they're talking different languages and the utter dismissal that Indiana feels um, when you know, his father's like, oh, it breaks the heart. I'll, ne- uh, I'll never forgive myself you know, for breaking this vase. And then...
1: Indy he thinks he's talking about his head.
0: Yes. But he's not. <laughs> and then he's and then Indy's like, "Well, I'm fine." And and Henry says, "Thank God."
1: It's a not fake. Not thank
0: God that you're not <laughs> yeah, that you're not concussed, but thank God that I broke a fake vase. Um and just that moment Harrison Ford plays it so well where he's kind of just like
1: <sighs> Yeah. This here we are again. You're putting an old a 1000-year-old relic over me again.
0: And I think that's so familiar in relationships when you've been apart and you kind of come back and and he's got all this energy. He wants to go find and rescue his dad. Maybe things will change. Maybe something's different now that he's had, you know, now that Henry's had this captured by Nazis life experience and Indy's been, you know, searching for him and, Oh, nope, we're back just to where we started. Nothing has changed at that point.
1: Yeah. And it'll take another couple of scenes before we start to see that thawing of their relationship. um, Because, when when Elsa is being uh, held by the Nazi, Indy does not trust his dad in that moment. When he, his dad says, "No, she's one of them," uh, and he he's like, "Go ahead and shoot her," and Indy's like, "No, no, 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 no." At that moment, they're still not in sync at all. Um, and then when they he, he's gonna get on the boat. No, we're not taking the boat. Wait, wait, what about the boat? No, we're we're gonna take this. Uh, we need to go to Berlin. No, what do we need? The, my diary's in Berlin. And then he slaps him for blasphemy. Well, I always love that moment
0: that's and well that's that's where that line about you know the grail being an obsession comes up. That's a very pivotal scene
1: So then they fly on the plane and they 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 they're on the beach, and it's the moment when Henry pulls out his umbrella and starts making the birds go up to fly into the into the Messerschmitt, um, <laughs> Yeah,
0: I love fighter that part. Jet.
1: and he comes back and you know uh. I suddenly remembered my maid. It
0: was an excellent Sean Connery. Thank you, thank thank you, thank you. for gracing uh, us with that. <laughs> I was waiting for it.
1: It, it. Yeah, it just sort of happens. And, uh, and that's, I think the moment where Indy starts to have a little bit more respect for his dad. Like it, mm-hmm. oh, there's something you can, you can contribute here. I'm the yes. squash buckler. You're the, you're the bookish guy that's always in the library.
0: Always clutching um, his little briefcase and his umbrella.
1: Right. With both hands.
0: With both hands. Well, just the, 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 cut, the images they cut are so different, and that's what, that is a, a transformative moment of seeing they have different tools at their disposal, but they are able to cooperate when they're able to cooperate and, and work together.
1: They make it to the Middle East. There's a, the great bit where the Nazis give the Rolls Royce to the king.
0: I have to wonder, like, even would the cost of the camels and the tanks, let alone, like, cover the cost of the car, let alone this priceless object and, you know, permission to go desecrate some tombs, like, does even just the physical material yeah, trade make any sense? No,
1: the king just wants the car.
0: He just wants it because yeah, looks
1: cool. Because it's awesome. And it's the a, weird thing is that it's British, though. British. You would think that they would have brought him a Mercedes or a BMW or something. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <sighs> Come on. What the heck? <laughs> then we have about 20 minutes of action sequence, so we can skip now to... You
0: mean the, there weren't any deep theological points to be made in the action sequence? Then
1: the, the tank goes over the cliff, and we have that great...
0: Oh, that moment on the that scene. That wonderful uh,
1: moment with, of Henry looking over and saying, oh God, I've lost him, and I never told him anything. I just wasn't ready, Marcus. Five minutes would have been enough.
0: Mm-hmm. So How long does that resolve last?
1: Just a, yeah, so just a minute there of of Henry realizing what he's lost. Then Indy, you know, climbs up the cliff because he's the hero. We get the great double take of, of Sean Connery.
0: Played a little uh, bit for comedy, but also worlds are shifting and colliding yeah. in that moment.
1: And then they have that wonderful embrace. I thought I'd lost you, boy. I thought you had two, sir. This, this, so there's about a 15-second moment in the movie there of just this mm-hmm. wonderful connection of father and son. Uh, and then immediately and then we're back into the, into the action, Well, and he, and he kind of grabs him by the lapel, and he's like, well done. Uh, and then Indy falls to the ground. Henry's walking away, you know, why are you sitting there resting when we're uh, so near the end?
0: Remind me a little bit of that, that moment in Brave. You know, Merit is in the tight dress, and Eleanor takes a pause, and you think they're going to connect. It is obviously very early in the film. Yep. And then she you know, reprimands her and then walks away. Right. Um, except in this moment, they do have that moment of connection, but then they snap back. It is really like, you know, relationships are kind of rubber bands. You can stretch them a little bit, but they're going to come back and you might move two steps forward, but one step back. And in this case, not letting them linger in that moment for any longer kind of shows Henry's still determined and focused on getting to the grail get to the get to the site
1: they go in of course uh, henry gets shot so andy has to go get the grail now i love that donovan says well hitler can have the world but he can't take it with him i because he wants the Grail. donovan wants the Grail because he wants to live forever
0: well and he also he also kind of tries to seduce indy to that into that saying you know what do you say jones ready to go down in history Mm, Um, mm -hmm. i think he's trying to play on indiana's you know love love for history archaeology um, trying to get him on, almost on his side in that moment um, or and looking for his own path into history. And instead, he becomes this forgotten, dusty old skeleton.
1: With a little Nazi pin right in the right? middle of all of the dust.
0: How very um, convenient.
1: It's And then, um, so it, it, Indy goes through the three tasks, only the penitent man shall pass. Um, I could go on a huge screed about how jehovah is not actually a name for god <sighs> well, but we we I, yeah, can we can, skip, skip, we can skip over that um and then we get to the leap of faith i've always loved that scene when they do the camera it's, pan and you see yeah. the uh, it's so and cool. then it,
0: it melts back in and i, I love that, that that moment's when i think henry's crying out and i think it's it's brody who says like something like you know hurry up now's the time and he has a moment he could go back and be with his father as he dies or he could go forward. And that moment happens at the leap of faith. Mm. And so taking the leap of faith is not just trusting in his ability to seek out the grail, but really trusting in its, its curative properties and that moving forward is the thing that the right thing to do. Yes. And so that step embodies so much of his journey, his movement with his father. And it's all, it's all happening in that one moment.
1: Right. you, you wonder their relationship has been estranged for so long. Does Indy feel the need to really put his own life on the line for his dad because he's thinking, "Oh, we're so close to being together,
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: need more time with him
0: I'm get, yeah, he must be i mean he's he's faced so many dangers so far for to rescue his father. it's for him. Up to this point, it's not been about the Grail, and now I think the Grail is a means to an end. Yeah, it's an interplay. It's a way to thing, it's yeah. a way to get you know his father back alive. But the whole quest has Indy's quests has been about saving his father.
1: So they get in. He talks to the knight for a second. The great scene with the knight falling over with the sword. Mm. Um, and then we get the revenge of Elsa Schneider, where she does not like Donovan at all. Nope. And she you know, murders him. Ooh, she yeah, up. she does. She's got that cold as ice look on her face as she hands him the cup.
0: Well, and there's so much in this film about, maybe it's it, it's the counterpoint or the underlying theme of uh, idolatry is that the thing that you're searching for, your your greatest desire can also be your downfall and your curse. Mm. So Donovan's desire for eternal life to go down in history, something even bigger than the Nazis, um, ends up in his sort of single-mindedness on getting the grail is what damns him in the end. He's mm-hmm. easily, because he's thinking in terms of glory and possibly renown and fame or whatever his ultimate goal is, he's easily duped into thinking that a bejeweled golden cup is the cup of Christ.
1: Indy understands that this is going to be the cup of a carpenter.
0: And I love that. Wait, before, before that happens, when he's about to drink it, I love that look between the knight and Indy, like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. They they share this one knowing look and that's when, you know, he's one. Yeah. Indiana knows. He chose wisely. He chose wisely, right? Donovan Um, chose poorly. That's number three. There you go. (laughs) For those of you keeping track at home.
1: Um, So they, they, and then of course we get the, the climax of the movie happens when Elsa picks up the cup because after Henry, uh, after they, they heal Henry, they put the cup on the ground.
0: Right. It's, well, that's where it became a means to an end.
1: Um they're not the they're not looking for, to take it off. So she picks yeah. it up, she starts walking over the seal. We have the earthquake, she's in the thing, she's she's in the chasm. Indy's got her by the hand and she's reaching for the cup. I can't hold you, I can't hold you, and then she falls. Indy ends up in the in the chasm and he's got a slightly larger reach. He can actually touch it. He can't grasp right.
0: it. Right. He's got it at the very tip of his fingers.
1: And of oh my gosh, I get chills hearing the way that mm-hmm. Sean Connery says Indiana. Uh, Is it's that the just, first
0: time he calls him? Yes. By that name, that's a very interesting moment.
1: It's so fa- it's so wonderful that he finally calls him by the name that Indy has chosen, and he says Even it if was it's the
0: dog's name.
1: Yeah, well, we he named the dog Indiana. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I he, like
0: but, Indiana.
1: <laughs> but there's so much compassion in mm-hmm. in saying that name. He says it twice, and then twenty. 20 almost 30 years no about 25 years before Elsa another Elsa sings about letting it go oh boy yeah
0: you went there Henry I wasn't Jones going to go there Henry
1: Jones says let it go
0: all i'm imagining is him in a icy blue dress <laughs> no on the mountain. this is a nice moment
1: stop ruining <laughs> storm, my moment the storm was quiet oh, on the God. mountain
0: tonight <laughs> oh, no that's not even the right lyrics but can you i want that cover yeah let go
1: let it go. <laughs> Can't hold me back anymore. Let it go. Um, anyway. <laughs> but,
0: but the uh, fact that he's able to yeah. rec- to tell him to, to let it go means that he has learned something is more important. He's holding on to it right there in that moment.
1: Mm-hmm. He is holding on to that, that which he should have held as a higher uh, good than right. the search for the grail. The relationship with his son, could have brought him closer to God than the grail ever could have. And when uh, they grab hands and he, he pulls him up, we just have <laughs> that wonderful um, that connection that they had that embrace earlier, and now we have that true, that true connection as he's saving him from the, from the chasm.
0: Well, they've, they've both passed through a death experience at that point. There's, they're kind of more on, this, on a similar level of having each of them has almost lost the other in such a very visceral way. Um, I guess I'm wondering at this point in the story, why does Indy want the cup so bad in that one moment? Having, I mean, it's, it's, it's the tremendous irony of, I mean, maybe I'm not using the tremendous difficulty of seeing, you know, he just held Elsa and, and felt her hand slip through his and felt the failure that came from having her fall. And then to be in that exact same position, having dropped the chalice moments before, after it was used to heal Henry, why in that one moment is he willing to risk his life to get it? Cause it's, is it cause it's so close? It's within reach. It's, he's touching it.
1: Yeah. I, it's a good question. I think, well, first, Henry's the one that puts it down, not Indy. Oh, sure. Um,
0: I missed that part. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, he's still, my dad, this has been his life. If I can get this for him, you know, mm. obviously he knows that it can't go out. It's a moment of adrenaline, you know, he's in the chasm. He can touch it. I can grab it. Oh, right. And we, but we need that. It's really Henry who, by Henry saying, let it go, he's telling Indiana, I understand what my quest, my quest has led me mm-hmm. to to illumination, as he'll say in a minute. Um, and I don't need that cup for it. They leave the temple and are back out with the horses in Sala, uh, also known as Gimli. We have a general viewers and Gimli.
0: Another and and, and,
1: and James Bond. I would love that film.
0: Oh, I do love that film. It's this film. It's
1: great. (laughs) Yes. Um, What did you find, Dad? Indiana says to says to Henry, Mm -hmm. and he says, "Illumination," which ties back in to his first line of dialogue about being illuminated, and so he finally found that illumination and it wasn't seeing the night. It wasn't seeing the cup or holding the cup. It was finally having that connection with his son.
0: Is he looking, I'm trying to remember the end of this film. Is he looking directly at Indiana when he says that?
1: I think so. Yeah. I'm trying to remember think...
0: his his face. I feel like a lot would be, especially with a, with a skilled actor like Sean Connery, mm-hmm. a lot I imagine would be con- uh, conveyed with his face in that moment. And they go off, gallop off into the sunset gallop as every good done, Western should da, done,
1: be. Done, 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 yeah. Uh, with the great John Williams score playing. Oh,
0: thank goodness for John um, Williams.
1: And when when I look at this whole movie, we have an action movie that actually has a lot of depth in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite as much depth as some of the other movies that we've discussed. Although most of them have been either cartoons or action movies, if you think about it. I mean, uh, Yeah,
0: that's fair. Avengers
1: Endgame is an action movie, (laughs) um, which happens to have an incredible story about grief,
0: Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm.
1: Return of the Jedi as well. Um, So we have these, I guess one of the things that I've enjoyed doing in this podcast is looking for deeper meaning in pieces of media that might not have been trying to be about that. Sure. And yet they are movies about human experience, human experience, and we can learn certain things from them uh, when we're applying a theological imagination to that.
0: What I also love about this podcast is using all these things that I love as a window deeper into exploring God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're kind of moving beyond idolatry and into theological reflection. I don't Yay. know it just blew my mind.
1: We're finishing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets today. This is the recap of chapters 16 through 18. Chapter 16, The Chamber of Secrets. The injustice of it all. The Hogwarts exams are still scheduled despite all the danger? The one bright spot is that the Mandrakes are ready, which means the petrified people will soon be able to share their story and hopefully take down the heir of Slytherin. Harry and Ron are on their way to talk to Moaning Myrtle when they are forced to detour to see Hermione instead. And a good thing too, because they find a crumpled page in her stony hand. The page describes the features of the fearsome basilisk and everything clicks. The petrification, the spiders, the dead roosters, and the fact that Harry can hear the monster speaking parcel tongue. He and Ron are on their way to tell McGonagall when they hear that Ginny has been taken into the chamber and is presumed dead. Apparently, it takes a student's death to cancel exams. The professors send the boastful Lockhart to deal with the monster, but he tries to flee instead. Harry and Ron find him packing, and Harry disarms him after he monologues about his career in Memory Charms. Harry opens a sink in Myrtle's bathroom, and the three of them slide down a long shaft towards the chamber. Lockhart tries to use Ron's broken wand to obliviate them, but the spell backfires on him. Ron stays with the mindless Lockhart, and Harry presses on. Chapter
0: 17, The Heir of Slytherin. Harry finds Ginny on the dank floor of the Chamber of Secrets. She's very close to dead. Her life force is flowing into the memory of Tom Marvolo Riddle, whose name is an anagram for I am Lord Voldemort. Riddle monologues even more than Lockhart, explaining how he had tricked Ginny into telling him everything via the diary, how he took her over, how Ginny set the basilisk on the petrified people. Riddle is fascinated with Harry, but he grows bored once he understands that it was Harry's mother's love that saved him from Voldemort. Harry keeps Riddle talking long enough for a deus ex machina to appear. Fox, the phoenix, swoops in to help Harry, dropping the sorting hat at his feet. Riddle calls the basilisk and a fight ensues. Fox conveniently pecks out the serpent's eyes, allowing for Harry to open his. Harry cries out for help while wearing the sorting hat and the sword of Gryffindor hits him on the head. Harry and the basilisk kill each other, except that Fox saves Harry with medicinal tears. But the fight is not over yet. Harry plunges the basilisk fang into the diary and the memory of Riddle is gone for good. Remember that in about five years, okay? Fox gives Harry, Ron, Ginny, and Lockhart a triumphant ride back to Hogwarts.
1: Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward. Mr. and Mrs. Weasley are sitting with McGonagall and Dumbledore when the quartet enters. The Weasleys embrace their daughter with relief and after Harry recounts as much of the story as he can without implicating Ginny, they cart her off to the hospital wing. Ron takes Lockhart there as well, leaving Dumbledore to have a private chat with Harry. Tumbledore comments on Harry's loyalty, which enabled Fox to hear him. But Harry is bothered by what Riddle said about them being alike, about how Harry should have been in Slytherin. Ah, says Dumbledore, but you're not in Slytherin. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. After all, only a true Gryffindor could pull the sword of Gryffindor from the hat. As their conversation ends, Lucius Malfoy storms into the office, trailed by a very worse-for-wear Dobby. Harry figures out that Malfoy passed the diary to Ginny, and Dumbledore conjures a convoluted plot that ends with Arthur Weasley getting sacked, though there were probably easier ways for Malfoy to go about that. As Lucius is leaving, Harry stuffs the diary in one of his slimy socks and thrusts it into Malfoy's hands. Malfoy rips the sock off and throws it away, or tries to. Instead, Dobby catches it, and the magic that prevents house elves from doing the laundry sets him free. The school exams are canceled after all, though one wonders about those who needed to take OWLs and NEWTs, and the students have a late-night feast. Gryffindor wins the House Cup again, and the main characters share a ride back to London aboard the Hogwarts Express. As the book ends, Harry is sure the Jerseys will be livid, that Harry had so many opportunities to die and never managed it
0: really rather rude of him
1: <laughs> we have come to the end of our second harry potter book
0: i i love the dumbledore download in this this is the set of chapters where you get that but i don't want to jump too far ahead but i'm glad we persevered because as always the ending of this of these books are full of chock full of meaning and things to reflect on
1: Yeah. Before we started today, you were saying that uh, the idea of canceling exams was hitting a little too close to home in the age of COVID-19 social isolation.
0: Yeah. It's like we all have, all these things are happening, all these things are different, and yet we still have to do the boring, normal things that we always have to do.
1: They want to tell McGonagall something. We finally get a moment where they—they yeah. the, don't just run off and do it. They actually want to tell a teacher,
0: and they actually try to get a teacher on their side. They're like, "We'll tell. We'll tell at least come to Lockhart with everything we know."
1: Yeah, it's weird that Ron is the one that wants to tell Lockhart because, yeah. as we've said this whole time, Ron's had Lockhart's number, um, but maybe he's like, "Okay, well, if he is gonna go, you know, do the thing that I don't think he's gonna be able to do, we might as well give him all the information we have."
0: I, I think they know that he's not he's a fraud too, but not to the extent that he, he's shown to be.
1: Mm, and the teachers obviously do the professors definitely oh, do because they, they say, that well, that's hilarious. got him out of our hair.
0: That is um, wonderful. I love that it's Snape that kind of starts introducing it. <laughs> and he kind of is the one who essentially paints him into a corner. Um, it's a nice, it's nice collaboration between the teachers. I felt a little bit of that energy later on with Umbridge. Uh, yeah, and they're yeah, kind yeah, of right. passive aggressively, you know, ousting her as well. So I, love, I do love um, McGonagall's compassion in these in when Hermione's taken, the fact that you see a little bit behind her stern demeanor mm. um, and that she has like a tear in her eye and, and she's like, oh, of course you want to go visit her in the hospital wing. It's been so hard on the friends of those who have been petrified. It's like, really? McGonagall? But she's a, she's a tender-hearted person. We just don't see it a lot.
1: Yeah, like in class, she's the stern teacher. Yeah. She's 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 the professor like Henry Jones, uh the the one that uh the students hope they don't get.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> a great description. Yeah, that is one You just know exactly
1: what, what Indy's talking yep. about in that moment. Um Lockhart has convinced himself that he earned his fame.
0: It's so hard to read that part. It's so gross.
1: Yeah, I I I got real good at memory charms and, you know, therefore I deserve everything that I've done. They the 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 people who did those things, they were ugly.
0: And that's and that's the fact that they don't they don't deserve it because they wouldn't have looked good on the cover of a book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Ouch. I also
0: think this chapter 16 says a lot about Harry's personality, um that even though the mandrakes are going to be stewed the next day, and the mystery will, they think, be solved when the people wake up. He still wants to solve the mystery. And he still has that, that action hero desire for action. Um, there was one quote that was so beautiful. Um, they're, they're sitting in the common room after they've learned about Jenny. And it says, this was the worst he had ever felt. If only there was something they could do, anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that hits me hard right now as I feel like I can't do anything mm-hmm. um, to help in a situation that we're in. But that, you know in this moment, Harry just feels he's an action oriented person and he feels cut off and stopped in his tracks.
1: Mm, Yeah. And especially since it's Ginny that's gone missing. And Mm -hmm. that day she, she had come up to them and said, you know, I've got something to tell you. And then she wasn't able to. Oh, Percy.
0: It's not all about you, Percy. No one cares that you and Penelope are dating.
1: I think it's interesting that Ginny opened her heart and spilled all her secrets to an invisible stranger. And this book was written in like 1998. <gasps> right. Oh no. So it's like That's an chat early, rooms the devil. Yeah, early critique of the, of internet and social media there.
0: I am. I definitely hear that, especially in those earlier one, those earlier comments about like, how could a book be dangerous? And it's like, well, you know, people thought that Harry Potter was dangerous. So I, I see that. That's funny. It's also sad it shows again a, a good character study on Riddle using Ginny's strengths potentially her willingness to be vulnerable and open or or just her her loneliness and using it against her it's part mm-hmm. of his manipulation he's able to play people's strengths as to be a weakness Hagrid's desire to have you know relationships with these monsters and and, and compassion he uses that to make him the culprit um, he plays off of Dippet's desire to just have the whole Chamber of Secrets affair be over by giving him an easy solution. He, He manipulates people very well.
1: Riddle said that as Ginny was pouring her soul into the diary, he was giving her a little bit of his soul. And I thought, okay, wait, is this why Ginny and Harry end up together? Because they both had parts of Voldemort inside them?
0: I think they certainly bond over the experience in book, was it six, when he thinks that he's being possessed and she has that kind of simplistic, well, if you can remember what you've been doing, then you weren't possessed by him. Turns out to be false. But I think that's one of those moments where he sees her anew with new eyes. And so I wonder if this does kind of bring them together. Yeah, but, when you
1: when you were 11 years old, you, you were violated by Voldemort.
0: Yeah, it's really... Yeah. Uh, and just imagine her, this poor... Eleven-year-old girls utter despair at like having those huge maps lapses in her memory. She's unable to tell anybody. It's mm-hmm. just real. It's really sick.
1: Yeah, and, and he's and lonely. It's, there's it's if you think about it for even just five minutes, you you get into a place of of, of real real darkness, like yeah, bad like child pred- predation, uh, pedophilia. Mm-hmm molestation, all, all of that horrible stuff. When you think about Riddle grooming Ginny yeah, the way that we are, uh, when we do safe church training, we were Mm -hmm. kind of taught about how that happens and, and how to try to counteract it.
0: Right. He's teaching her to rely only on him by hearing her pretty normal feelings as a youngest child of being ignored or being made fun of by her brothers and sort of becoming the only one she can trust. That is like, Textbook abusive relationship, right there.
1: And it's not until the very end there when she actually has takes up get has the courage to come to and actually cry out to somebody, and she doesn't she doesn't get the chance to do it. Yeah. Um, although earlier on she did throw the diary away, so mm-hmm. there was that moment of her standing up to, to Riddle in a way by chucking the diary um, into the bathroom into the bathroom.
0: And again, how, how what a nightmare it must have been for her to see it then in Harry's possession, the one person she fears knowing her secrets, um, the, the feeling that all of her vulnerabilities are going to be exposed and not, not in a compassionate way. I mean, Harry is a compassionate soul, but I think in that moment, she fears everything coming out. Mm. And, and you really realize it when, I think it's in the next chapter when uh, Dumbledore says, like, you know, thank goodness we have the diary to prove that it wasn't Ginny acting on her own.
1: right. It's yeah. not
0: just her secrets, but it could be her whole life at stake.
1: Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, Hagrid's in Azkaban for just, you know, no reason whatsoever over being this.
0: Conveniently, sort you know, conveniently of vaguely. being a half giant. But yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's interesting that – because she obviously has a crush on Harry mm-hmm. basically forever. Um, but remember Aww. the very beginning of the book when she puts her elbow in the butter? Yes. And Harry sees it and just – Lets it pass he ignores,
0: yeah, he's thankfully he was the only one to notice. Yeah.
1: so I wonder if there's something yeah. that's a nice sort of foreshadowing about later on where she feels like maybe this is the person i can i can I can cry out to.
0: What a meat cute story that is. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time that I was possessed and left for dead in a secret underground chamber in a girl's bathroom and you came and fought a basilisk and almost died. Ah, good times so to all the great kids, the <laughs> yeah, kids. Right. Well we met at a train station, but of AF, but there was many more times.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> we could give you the the easier the short version or the long version.
0: Another instance of Riddle, this is going to set up a pair uh, a pattern for the rest of the books, but Riddle completely underestimating things he doesn't understand. He says, you know, this is what Dumbledore sends his defender, a songbird and an old hat. Do you feel mm-hmm. brave, Harry Potter? Do you feel safe now? Mm. And I guess I'm thinking of um, a little bit in terms of the life of faith that the things that we cling to so strongly, songs and community and buildings and practices that might sound outdated or kind of hokey, can be so important and central to us. And so I felt in that moment a little bit of kinship with Harry that you know he has love, this phoenix, this loyalty, hat, even the phoenix's tears are all things that are, Voldemort has no comprehension of their power, what hold, what sway they could have over a person, and how it's mm. just like, you're not going to win because these things are powerful. But I think he's so desperate to feel special, to feel like his own tragic hero. Um, even finding out that like, Harry's only alive because Lily died for his, to protect him, that's a relief for Riddle to find out. Because it's like, oh, you're not special. It was just this counter charm, like he's really trying to be his own the center of his own universe, and finding having Harry as kind of a rival is confusing to him, mm, and he's always mm-hmm. trying to say, "Look, Harry is ordinary and boring yeah. and worthless, and you all care so much about him, but you shouldn't,
1: yeah, he's not he worthy to be me. my rival, yes, he's, yeah, he is not on my level, but that again, that just shows how he doesn't understand that harry has an entire community behind him.
0: Mm-hmm. And that that love and that loyalty is more powerful than magic power. Mhm. Hmm. So be a main thesis of the books, which is why they're not evil books. <laughs>
1: Indeed. Um so we get to the Dumbledore download.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: and we have the the famous line it is our choices harry that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Um and that's right after harry Was again concerned about being a Slytherin.
0: Being a Slytherin,
1: Um, but Voldemort spins the Slytherins a little bit, saying, "You know, Slytherins are resourceful. They're determined. You know, there are qualities. You know, ambition doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily an evil thing."
0: And that's the problem with the house system.
1: Well, I guess, okay, here we go again. <laughs> it's
0: broken. <laughs> but it's funny, in, later in that scene, Harry shows resourcefulness and determination by freeing Dobby, liberating Dobby using those tools that Slytherin prizes for good. Um, yeah, even, it's so, even a it's little bit of possible. deception. Yeah. Even
1: some deception there, yeah.
0: Yep, in order to sneak that sock from from Lucius's hand to Dobby.
1: Yeah. Choices and abilities, choices and abilities. That, that is interesting because I think we tend to identify ourselves based on our abilities. Um, I am a guitar player, right? Right. I'm good at writing. I am good at this, right. (laughs) Um, and yet we make so many choices throughout the day that we don't even realize we're making that it really is the choices that we make that set us up on a trajectory. Um, and that ends up, I think that that crops up in my sermons quite a lot. Mm. Is this concept of making choices, you know? Because people will say, "Well, how do you actually live this life of faith?" Well, it's about having intentional intentionality around, you know, discernment of your choices. Uh, and when you make a decision, think, "Okay, did this decision bring me life, or did it bring me death?
0: <laughs> did right.
1: it unravel me, or did it, did it did it did it stitch me deeper into the into the tapestry of God's love?" And each choice we make has the opportunity to show us that. But we make so many choices that. We, we, we don't pay attention um, unless we're making really, really big choices. But the goal would be to pay attention to the little choices so that we have enough training and exercise that when we do need to make a big choice, that is actually going to be incredibly meaningful for our lives. We have some practice behind ourselves.
0: It's about building it kind of like layer by layer of training the mind. I guess that's why we have rules of life because it gives us something to guide our choices our choices shape our abilities. We can choose to develop certain skills, certain talents of ours. Um, we're not just born with being naturally good at things. That shapes how we spend our time and what we put those abilities towards. Um, and it's, I think as we see in Harry, you could go the path of death or you could do, do what he does and go the path of life and use them for restoration, for, in this case, liberation of this you know wonderful little creature of Dobby.
1: Mm. Well, let's, let's end our podcast with Dobby because (sighs) Harry says, don't ever save my life again or promise me Dobby. Harry says, promise me you'll never try to save my life again. Dobby does not make that promise.
0: That's right. Now I'm crying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Our our last episode of season two will not have any Harry Potter stuff. We're going to have a little trivia quiz Carrie versus Adam, but you, uh, our audience of a few, um, <laughs> can play along, uh, with our trivia quiz, uh, as we, as we conclude with a fun, in a fun way, our second season until then, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for nerdy Christians. You can find us at nerdychristians.com or on social media, facebook.com slash nerdychristians and on Twitter at nerdychristians. You can find me on Twitter at Rev Adam Thomas or on my website, Check out my new fantasy novel, The Islands of Shattered Glass on Amazon. You can always find both Carrie and me right here on the next episode of the Podcast for Nerdy Christians, which we record with social distancing, and we always will, even once we can see each other in person again.
0: May the light of the world illumine the windows through which you see the divine, give you a quest worthy of completion and companions to see it through and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you, now and always. Amen.